right, good evening, good people, and welcome to Tech Beats and Bites. We want to thank you for coming out. This is our second Monday, and it is fantastic. All the great people here. If you've been here before, definitely let us know if you're enjoying it. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us at, at Tech Beats Bites on Instagram, at Digigrass, and also at World Famous House of Mac. So tonight, I'm going to be interviewing the lovely Tedra Moses. We're going to talk about her music career and what she's doing currently. My name is Latoya Stirrup, and we are going to get started. So, Tidra, tell me, when did you fall in love with music? Um, I mean, I guess mostly like everybody else when I was a kid. I just love music. I love the way music made me feel. It never went out off in my household. So, mm -hmm. you know, when something's always around, you're either going to love it or hate it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of people may not know, but you actually started as a wardrobe stylist. How did you sort of make that transition from being a stylist to into do, working on music and being a recording artist? I never wanted to be a stylist. My best friend was a stylist, and she was making cake. She was making Ooh. so much money. So I was like, okay, let me try to do this because I'm young and I want to make money. So I started doing it with her. I started making money, but I didn't, it wasn't a passion. And then, you know, I kind of stopped and quit it because I'm a quitter on things I don't really like. <laughs> Which is good. You got to know what works for you. Right. <laughs> and transition and pivot. Um, so your last project. Pivot. I like Transition that. and pivot. You got to know what works, right? I like that. You got to know what works. <laughs> Kayak and Conversations. That was your last project. Yes. Tell us a little bit about where you were on your life journey to sort of get into that. Because when I heard the title and listened to some of the tracks, it just felt like belly rubbing music and candles uh, and bear rugs in front of the fireplace. <laughs> I mean, was that what you were working for or, or what? I mean, maybe so, kind of, sort of, because, you know, I was, I'm a single mother and I was a mother for so long. My mm -hmm. kids are grown now, and so I finally got a chance to just, you know, be a grown, sexy woman without responsibility. And so it's cool. Maybe I was on some bare rugs and candles, no. maybe. A little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in some of the tracks, we saw a lot of representation about Miami. You had Rick Ross right. on two features. Right. And the Biscayne Boulevard interlude. Yes. Well, I wrote the album Living Here. I moved here about... Mm, seven years ago. Okay. So I wrote the album while I was living here. I love Miami. I love the vibe of Miami. I'm originally from New Orleans, and I lived in L.A. for a long time, and I travel a lot, but I love coming home to Miami. Mm -hmm. So are you still living here now? You're currently? Yeah, I live in Aventura, right up the street. Hey, <laughs> look at that. We need to have you do some more um, live performances in this venue, for sure. Yes, for sure, for sure. I would love that. Have to have you come back. Um, now, so since you've already kind of answered that question, because I was going to ask you if you love Miami, what inspires you? Um, what sort of makes you feel at home in Miami? I think the weather's really great, you know, for what I do. I'm like a real vibey person. You know, I'm all about the, the vibe, and I'm that kind of person I can't be around things that aren't beautiful. And Miami's really beautiful. The water, the people, the food is good. You know, it's a good vibe. I just try to follow good vibes, and Miami has good vibes. Y'all hear that? We have good vibes. <laughs> Need to make you stay. Um, so with that, sort of dovetailing on that, um, last week we had a nice conversation about streaming in the music industry. Rico Love was getting into it with Mike, and want to just kind of get your feedback and your thoughts on what, how has the streaming industry sort of impacted music, and where do you see it going from here? 
Well, you know, I came in music around a time when it was all really starting, you know, where you can get downloads and everything was starting to change and streaming and all these different things. And honestly, I can say it for me, I can't tell you how it impacted everyone else. I think for some artists, it was an adjustment that had to be made and maybe it was hard. But for me, it's what built my career because I have really? always been able to be found on the internet when I can't always be found in a store because I don't have that kind of retail power. Uh -huh. Or I can't always be found in a magazine because I don't have that type of PR. But on a blog, I can be found. So right. It's just like it turned me all the way up, so I'm not mad at it. Exactly. You're like, keep it moving, huh? <laughs> and that's what we were sort of talking about, how streaming democratized the industry. And so you're really feeling that in yeah. terms of how you're able to reach your other, your audience and everything. Yeah. And I pick up other people's audience. So like if I'm, if it's Pandora I'm streaming on, mm -hmm. maybe they're playing Beyonce. So right. then I got a record that fits in that group. Then you learn who teach your most. Exactly. Is, you know, get and introduced. then you can predict, if they can predict what your streaming might be like, you can get a check for that. There's people that's not on the radio, and you can just say, hey, listen, I stream this much. Can you give me some money? And they're like, yeah, here's your money. We're going to take a little bit from it to give you a big check now. Mm -hmm. You can't beat that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what, how have you sort of worked with um, Spotify and Pandora? So how, talk to us a little bit about that in terms of how you are able to get checks and everything from the streaming process. Well, when, when you work with them, they'll put you in different playlists. Different uh -huh. playlists that, you know, maybe it's the smooth R&B. I don't know. Shit. Well, I'm sorry. Whatever they say. <laughs> it's about, okay. You know. It's okay. So they'll put you in, in these groups, and then they, you stream from that. Mm -hmm. Then you stream when people are looking for you. Then you stream on the radio portion when they have you next to artists that are similar to you. Or if they, someone put in R&B. You know, you stream. You constantly stream. And, whether, and that's not just Spotify. That's SoundCloud. That's mm -hmm. all this different stuff. And you can actually get a check for the prediction or the projection Right. What you so not just stream. the plays. No. But if the they, projections. If they look at it and it looks like you're streaming, there are companies right now that will give you a check for what you might your projected stream. No, that's fantastic. So oh, for all really those is. artists who are indie who are looking to really get into the business, that's a good way to do it and to look at streaming as there, a viable there are young, option. Um, rappers and singers that no one knows their name and they can go somewhere and say, hey, can I get $80,000 because look at my streams, you know? And you're unknown. That couldn't happen when I started. Right. That wasn't even a possibility. Look at Chance the Rapper, who won the first Grammy for streaming. Like, it's a whole nother world. And it gives a more of a fair um, playground, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another sort of controversial topic dealing with the music industry is ageism. Right. Have you sort of encountered that as a black woman? Not really. Maybe because I'm not looking for it. Could be. And I, plus, you don't, you know, you look fantastic. So Thank you very much. Yeah. But part of it for me is like, I don't see anything I don't want to see because I don't see it. So it mm -hmm. doesn't exist, you know? And so for me, I stay doing me. And I feel like that keeps it easy for you. It doesn't have anything to do with um, your gender, your age, or anything. When you're doing something like Sade, do we talk about Sade's age? No, not because she has her mm -hmm. own thing. You know, we don't talk about Erica Badu's age. She has her own thing. So I just always look at it like, if I just do me, and, you know, at the best of my ability, which right. is something someone else cannot do because I'm only, you know, there's only me. So if I focus on that, then 
I'll be able to be okay always just doing me because they're going to have to come to me for me. Can't go to you for me, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and that's the only thing you can do is be the best you you can be. Right, right? exactly. So what's next for you, Tidra? Um, I'm working on a new album right now. It's called uh, Vulnerable Courage, and it is about the stuff that people don't want to deal with. I see a lot of people like, I don't have feelings, I'm a savage, and all these things. I'm not. I got a lot of feelings, and right. uh, you know, and I really, really am not a savage. I'm a sweetheart, and I'm proud to be that. Mm -hmm. But I have savage ways. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just deal with a lot of emotion on this album. Nice. Stuff people don't really like to deal with, but I feel like they need to. So I'm gonna sing about it. And that's a good time. You know, right mm -hmm. now is a good time to sort of get into emotions, especially with the political climate and everything that's yeah. kind of going on. Exactly. So we need to get in touch yes. with who we are and our feelings. I agree. What about tour dates? Where can people find you? Um, my next date is in Los Angeles. I don't, I don't uh, do a lot of shows here. I would love to. Really? I, yeah, nah. You know, and I go, why is that? You know, we 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 pay. They pay us to play. So oh. wherever they pay to play is where I That's go. That's where play, you go. You know okay. what I mean? So, okay. But Miami haven't gotten to that space yet. I'm hoping. So there's a lot of artists that I really love that I um, tour with a lot that don't come down here a lot. I would love to see, you know, those those different acts down here. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really feeling that. And I think that that's something that we need to do in terms of making sure that we have a space to provide for artists like yourself. Yeah. Because a lot of us are complaining about the music industry, but we're not really providing you with a platform. It's true. To get out there. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a project. Um, so let's also, last question. Tell us a little bit about where we can find you. Well, you can find me on Instagram at Tidra Moses. You can find me on Facebook, Tidra Moses, Twitter, Tidra Moses, um, www.tidramoses.net. Google Tidra Moses. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and any um, final words of advice for budding entrepreneurs or artists, music artists who are looking to get into the industry? Yeah, I think that, um, like I was speaking with, I'm sorry, what was your name again? I just met her. Aunt Angela. Angela. I was just speaking with Angela. I think it's very important that we merge these minds. You know, I think what you guys are doing is great because I know all about music. I can sing, I can perform, anything in music, I'm, I, you can't challenge me. But I know nothing about this side of things. And I need this. And, and this side needs me. Tech side needs us. So we need to come together and really, like, especially as the, you know, urban dollars, do it together. You know what I mean? Don't always go throw out our situations to somebody else. Let's come together with our own and, and make something big. Yeah, collective economics. Yes. So we're going to do some Q&A. All right. So you are the CEO and founder of New Me Accelerator. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with tech. Mm, how I fell in love with tech. I actually, I, I fell in love with design and then um, ended up teaching myself to code and then became um, enamored with, I guess, all the possibilities that technology allows for. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I mean, I guess I just kind of, I'm a person who I follow my intuition a lot. And so I just kind of followed that and yeah. here I am. Perfect. Now, with the New Me Accelerator, tell us a little bit about what it is and what you're doing with it. Um, so I'm not sure how many of you guys are familiar with what an accelerator is. It's basically a boot camp um, for entrepreneurs if you have an idea. So they help you launch your idea, scale your idea, or get funding for your idea. Um, and so New Me is the first one for African-Americans and women. We launched in 2011. We've helped founders raise a little over $25 million to date. That's a great number. 
please pay attention to that. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. And if you're kind of wondering where you've seen Angela, it's because she was actually featured on CNN's Black in America with Numi Accelerator a few years ago. Talk to us a little bit about how being featured on CNN changed the game for you. So being featured on CNN, it, it accelerated knew me as a business. I mean, because when I started, it was really just an idea, a project. We didn't really know where it was going to go. Um, and then one of the producers had reached out to us and was interested in following our journey. So we had cameras with us in Silicon Valley for the first accelerator for like nine to ten weeks. Wow. Um, and then it aired domestically. It also aired internationally. And so it put us on a huge platform. But even more so than that, it actually put the industry and the issue around diversity and technology on, in a, on a huge platform. Right. So it literally was a catalyst for all of the, the diversity conversations that you read in the news or hear on the news that are happening now. Yeah. And the segment that you were on was called um, Black in America, Silicon Valley, the Promised Land. And so many of us who are in tech and innovation, we look to Silicon Valley as sort of that promised land, right? Is it really? I think it depends on how you define a promised land, right? <laughs> um, I mean, there's 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 a lot of uh, great things about the ecosystem. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, there's a ton of innovation there, um, but there's also there's a way of doing things, and sometimes I think the industry they don't like to break out of the way of doing things, and so I think other communities have a great opportunity mm -hmm. to challenge that and do things a little bit differently. And with sort of challenging the status quo and trying to get into it, how can we, as people of color, get more of the pie? We hear about the big numbers coming out of Silicon Valley and the funding. What can we do to get a little bit more of the pie? Build great companies. That's easy. Mm -hmm. Like, really. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of times there is an issue around awareness in the technology space. But there's also an issue, and I think a lot of people don't talk about this on the entrepreneur side of things, especially since um, the diversity conversation is a big conversation now, where you gotta be ready. Mm -hmm. Like your shit has to be together. And you're not gonna get funding, you're not gonna get partners just because you're black. And you shouldn't want that anyway, right? right? Because yeah. it's hindering you. So um, you just gotta build a really, a really great company, and that includes like some of the entrepreneurs that I work with, um, the product has to be great. So, um, you know, the packaging, the design has to be, you know, top tier. Um, and a lot of times people think their stuff is top tier and mm -hmm. it's not. So you have to also seek um, really honest advice as well. I'm happy to give it if anybody's interested. Um, but also, you have to get traction with your business. So it's not enough to have an idea. There's a misconception that you just have to have a good idea and you can get investment. And investors are looking for their money back at the end of the day. Right, that ROI and is serious. They, exactly. So, yeah. you know, the easiest way to kind of get around that is start to generate revenue and validate your business model as early as possible because then at least an investor can see, okay, this is how I'm going to get my money back. And with the investors sort of wanting to get their money back, a lot of us within the people of color realm, we may feel a little intimidated talking to people who don't look like us and asking them for money. 
what's some advice that you can give to us who are looking to get funding from the traditional VCs and angel investors? Um, I think you just have to have a little, a lot of confidence in um, what you're doing. At the end of the day, if you know your shit, like nobody can really fuck with you. So you got to make sure you know your shit. Like you really do. That means your numbers, like right. your data. Um, there's a lot of people who just simply aren't prepared, but they're under the perception that they are prepared. So the more you prepare yourself, the better off you'll be. And not just from the investor standpoint, the more confident you'll be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that'll project onto whomever you're talking to. Right. And what does preparedness look like? Because like you're saying, a lot of us kind of walk in thinking that we're ready and we're really not. So what are some tips that you can give to those to really double check themselves and feel like, yes, I'm prepared because I did X, Y, Z. Yeah, so you have to um, know your market inside and out, first First off. You have to get all your market data. Um, again, like I said before, traction is important. That's something that's specific to your, um, to your company. You need to know your own numbers inside and out because an investor is going to ask. You know, they're going to want to know what your, what your growth rate is. I, I talked to an entrepreneur the other day and I asked them, what's your, what's your growth weight? And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, week over week, month over month, how fast are you growing? They didn't know. Mm. That's the kind of stuff that you need to know. That's a standard question that investors ask. Um, I, I mentioned about the product. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also the team. If you are a non-technical founder and you're talking to a technology investor, you need to have somebody technical on your team. And, you know, how you do that is is really kind of up to you. I've seen it done a lot of different ways. I've seen um, people develop products with people who would be like freelancers and, and then they come on right. as um, co-founders. So, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of how you actually do it, but you definitely need to have somebody technical on your team if you talk to a, a technology investor. So I know you're doing some great things in South Florida. Share with us what's going on with you in Miami or South Florida. So I just relocated Numeen to um, Miami, which is exciting. We've actually been doing events here since 2012. So we were actually one of the first um, partners in Silicon Valley to do events in Miami. And so it's been great to see the ecosystem grow. Um, and what's interesting is when we started doing events, Miami was actually always the largest um, city that really? we went to. Yeah, it was Miami and Atlanta, and Miami was always even much bigger than, than Atlanta. So, you know, the decision to move here was kind of easy mm -hmm. because I knew there was already this bubbling ecosystem Market, and this yeah. excitement here. Um, so we, we have an office in Wynwood, and hopefully you guys will hear about our opening soon in June. We are doing accelerators. We have two accelerators in June, one in August coming up. Uh, we also have a partnership and got a grant from Knight Foundation um, that will support um, a certain amount of South Florida entrepreneurs to participate in our accelerators for free. That is fantastic. And Knight Foundation, as some of you know, is a, one of our supporters. So loving to see what they're doing with you as well. That's really exciting. And how can people sort of get involved with your accelerator? 
Uh, they can go online and apply. The application process is not like your typical accelerator application process. Um, we basically ask for a little bit of information about what you're working on, and then from there, I really just like to get on phone calls with the entrepreneurs and interview them, uh -huh. and then I make decisions based on that if I want them to be invited to attend. How many do you usually have in your cohorts? Our cohorts are small. They're usually no bigger than eight. Um, so, you know, you get a lot of, um, it, it's very intimate. So it's not like these other accelerators that might have 100, 150 folks in a cohort. It's very small. We've always kept it small because we really like working with the entrepreneurs. And then your success, like, I'm not successful if my entrepreneurs aren't successful. So, right, you know. Right. And what can people sort of expect if they go through one of your accelerator programs? Um, they can expect just a ton of information. I think um, information is, is the biggest part of it. Um, do not expect to leave um, an accelerator with funding. And this is not just my accelerator, but any accelerator. I think um, some, some accelerators have a model where they invest directly into the companies, but some, um, they have a demo day. And at the end of the accelerator, you get, you know, a said investment or you know you're pitching to get an investment um, and usually that's not really the case what typically happens is you get interest from an investor but then there's a series of meetings before your investments actually secured um, and I think it's it's the same way we have investors that come in and speak um, purely for informational purposes, but that's a relationship, right? That's that's the beginning of a relationship that you're building. Um, so you know, it's it is important to treat it as such, mm -hmm. um, and then take advantage of it. Love it. And tell us a little bit about um, as an outsider and coming to South Florida. I know that you're calling this home, but what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you see for those of us who live here, who are in entrepreneurship, who are in tech and innovation? What can we sort of do? We have a lot of different conversations, example on Digital Grass about um, the challenges of funding in South Florida and diversity and inclusion. What do, what do you see are, are sort of like one opportunity and one challenge for us? Um, my opportunity and my challenge is going to be the same thing. The challenge is that um, there's a lot of money in South Florida, but none of it is being invested really into the technology startups that are here. Um, but that's an opportunity, right, for someone to come in and work with the investors that are investing in other areas like real estate and help them get acclimated to investing into startups. Perfect. So let's tell everyone again how they can follow you, how they can get involved with New Me, and, and a little bit about sort of what's really coming up and what they need to look out for. Sure. You can follow New Me um, on all social platforms at New Me Excel. You can follow me, A. Benton, pretty much everywhere except Facebook, where I'm the Angela Benton. Um, what's coming up is really our accelerators that I mentioned. Uh, we have one on June 5th, and we have one on June 12th. Our accelerators are closed. They're not really public things, but we will be having a public event to open our space um, in June as well. Fantastic. Any questions for Angela about entrepreneurship, getting funding, talking to VCs, or even getting into her accelerator program? Say it. 
Teacher, we want to bring you back up to the stage as well. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I'll, I'll just repeat the question so everybody can hear it. She wanted to know, how do you know an accelerator program is right for you? Um, I personally think it has to deal with your own goals. Um, not every accelerator program is going to be right. And then also, um, whoever is the principal of that accelerator, whoever you're going to be working with the most closely, I think you have to gel with that person. Um, that's something I, I don't even think this is something that's very important, but I, I don't think I've actually said out loud to anyone else. But um, when you're working on a startup, it's something that's very like close and personal. You know, it's a labor of love for you, but you still need the advice to get to the next level. And so if you're working with someone where it's just gonna you're clashing that's really just it's it's gonna be a negative um experience for you so you have to you know find someone and gel with someone who not only believes in what you're doing but how i like to look at it is i'm not just investing and in working with the companies i'm working with the person and so it's really at the end of the day it's a it's about the people that you're working with so um I think, I think that's probably the most important. Hope that answers your question. And I actually have a question on top of that. Sort of talking about, um, because oftentimes accelerators or VCs don't necessarily look like us. And as you said, a lot of times we're creating businesses that speak to our problems because we're trying to solve them. How do we sort of work in that space to make sure that those who we're talking to and we're seeking funding from can relate to our business challenge or issue? Um, so sometimes when you're pitching a business, it's really straightforward, right? It's the market data, it's the growth um, potential. But sometimes if you're working, let's say, on a product that's specific to a, a particular demographic like right. hair weave, but you're pitching, you know, an investor in Silicon Valley who has no idea how big this market is, you got to educate them a little bit, right? So it really just is a matter of taking the time to educate them on, on the market. And so it's not, it's not really about, but black people are so underserved here and blah, blah, blah. It's about the numbers. It's about the money. Good point. Good point. I know we have a question over here. So y'all are real quiet tonight. So I thought I would ask some questions because to me, this is the epic element of what you're fighting for is to have three successful black women, not just successful in their field, but taking lead and taking charge. So there was a couple of questions I want to ask you guys, because I think sometimes people need inspiration to know where they're going. So Toya, you're with Digital Grass. You're working in technology. You're also making your own beauty products. Tidra, you had to... I mean, with the retail, you're going independent, you carved out your own path, you had a defined sound that people followed and have duplicated, and Angela, you were the first, you carved out your own path, and all you ladies are carving out your path. When it gets rough, when you get to a point where you almost want to give up, and you know you got to work twice as hard, ten times as hard, not just because you're a woman, but also because you're a black woman, where does your motivation come from to keep going? Um, passion. Because I think that passion, when you have purpose, 
there's nothing that can stop you. It's like it's a it's beyond I want to get money. It's beyond I want to be flashy and you know I want to accomplish this so people are looking. It is like breathing air. It's like eating food. It's just a necessity for your life for you to do this. And so sometimes I mean you have to eat. You know what I mean? You have to eat. If you have to eat food, no matter how hungry you get, you're going to go figure out a way to eat food. So when I need to make, for me personally, I can only speak this way, when I need to make music, I'm going to figure that thing out. I'm going to find, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to find uh, a way to keep going. And I feel like if you have passion in your life, the money, you know, you definitely need organization, a lot of other things, but I think the passion is the vital thing to keep the, the profit coming in. That's my opinion. For me, it's, Tying back into my why, my reason. Why did I start doing what I was, what I'm doing? Why do I want to put this product out there? What problem am I, what problem am I trying to solve? So knowing and having a strong, simple why is easy to tie back into that, and that can always keep you moving and keep you going forward. Um, I'm gonna agree with um, both of you, um, but definitely purpose. I think what you actually end up doing might change, but your purpose might not change. The medium might change, right? But you have to be aware enough to like look at the signals and also pay attention to your gut and to your intuition to follow that. And that's, that's pretty much what I try to do. And a quick question just to tie on to that. Let's talk about challenges, right? So we're all doing our own thing and, and we're out here and we're the face of what we're doing. You know, what challenges have you faced in terms of being in music, really being an indie artist and trying to get out there? Um, I'm gonna keep it so 100 with you. Finances, darling. Finances, funding, funding, funding. I am not taking an easy road. You know what I mean? I'm not doing pop music. I'm not doing EDM. I'm doing soul music. And they're trying to tell me R&B is dead. You know what I mean? So it's like finances. So you have to, like she's mentioned, numbers, 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 numbers. You got to always work to get your numbers to a place where they will give you funding. You can't always bet on just being good at whatever you do. Passion makes you good. But then you have to be smart enough to know that you need these numbers to get the funding. And when you get the funding and you get more exposure so for me it's constantly doing something that is not popular and making sure my numbers coincide and at the same time being an artist that doesn't think about that all day because that's not my job you know I, I could lose I could lose what I'm really good at thinking about numbers I, I'm a creator that's not my place yes exactly um so well I've had a lot of different challenges. I think it's always a challenge when you're the first, right? Because people don't know what to expect and you have so many people trying to convince you to do something the way that they're used to. So that's that. Um, but I think also as you go along in your journey, you can actually be your own challenges. You can get in the way of yourself. Um, and that's happened to me a lot. And I really just had to get to a place of doing what I thought was right, you know, regardless of what other people thought. I've walked away from a lot of money. I've walked away from very public partnerships. Um, but I'm in a better place today. And I would make the same decision again. Yeah, wonderful. So talking about those personal challenges, that head talk. 
We all have it. We have that monster that's in your mind that's telling you that you're not good enough, that you can't do what you want to do. How do you sort of combat that? What do you, what do you, what's your armor for defeating that monster in your mind? That bitch, if you want to call her. Oh, um, well, she was a bitch before. <laughs> um, I'll just say that uh, I had a lot of negative self-talk, but um, last year I actually went through cancer, and I'm cancer-free now, but during Congratulations. that... Congratulations. Thank Gotta you. That up. During that process, um, I just rediscover who I actually am, right? And it's weird, like that negative self-talk just isn't there anymore. It's like something happened through that whole process where it is just not there. And so, you know, while everyone won't have to go through something that's that's um, as intense as a cancer diagnosis, I think it really goes back to self-love. You know what I mean? The more you love yourself, you're not going to talk to things that you love in a disrespectful manner, including yourself. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Like, um, sometimes, I, 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 me personally, I've had a problem with that as well. Like, oh, you know, why you? This, you know, all these different things. But I just got, I don't know if it was maturity, right. but I got too, to a yeah. certain place like, why in the hell not? You know, it's just like, and I just started to look in the mirror and see something different. And it's just that self-love thing. I think that that's the thing that pulls you through when it, it feels like, how and why and for me it's spirituality my self-love starts with the fact that I know God is in me you know so that makes it easier for me to love myself because I'm like oh I got the omnipotent right here inside me you know so that makes a big difference and difference for me that's perfect either of you ladies have a question since we're just having an open conversation fireside chat real open and honest Um, yes, I would really like to know what it is, just a very basic question. What is it like, because I don't um, know much about tech, what is it like being a black woman in tech? Um, to be honest, when I first started, it wasn't something that um, I, I thought about as much, I'll be honest. Um, I was so focused on on everything that was external, like the entrepreneurs that I that I was working with. Um, but I will say there there's a lot more color in the tech industry now than when I started. But when I started, it was very um, lonely. You know what I mean? Especially being like in the belly of the beast in Silicon Valley. I moved my family across the country, you know, to follow this dream. Um, and so, you know, that, that part of it was hard, but now I just, now I don't think about it as much. Now I'm just, I'm just so confident in who I am. It's like, it really just doesn't matter. That's not a label you have to carry. Right. Exactly. Um, so my question is, you know, I was in the process of uh, writing a book for the past year, and so it's different because I'm a business person and I've been in this business mode for a minute, but it I kind of put myself in this creative mode, right, which was fun and exciting, but how do you, like, where do you draw your inspiration from, especially being an artist for, you know, so long and having a career in it? Like, where, did you, where do you get your inspiration from continuously? I think because it's all very therapeutic for me, you know, so like I'm living, 
I'm not just, I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh, I gotta make music, I gotta know. I'm just living, you know, so I don't force myself. I may go sometimes where I'm just traveling and having fun, you know, and I'm not making music at that time. And then when I feel it, I do it. I don't force myself. I just live. I have this experience. I'm looking at you and I'm looking at you and I'm sitting here and this makes me think something, inspires me into something. I just don't try to force it. That's me. I can only say that. But for some people, you know, they need to push themselves. I'm just, I just live. I love it. Staying in the moment. Yes. And I would definitely say the same thing, too, in terms of being on the tech advertising side. Um, just sort of being open and in the space and allowing sort of what is coming to you to be expressed and not getting in the way and allowing that movement and that flow to just flow through. So we're going to see if there's any last questions. If not, we're going to wrap up and we're going to give a huge thanks to both Tedra Moses and Angela Ben for spending their evening with us, for coming here at Tech Beats and Bites. We want to thank you all for coming out, for listening to us. And this is Black Girl Magic on the stage. We had a great time. And we're going to do this again next Monday.